0: I'd just like to read from Romans 8, 12 to 14. Uh, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its distaste, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This, and Andrews, is God's Word. A welcome to those that are on podcast and on YouTube. It's fantastic that you are tuning in, uh, separated by space and time. It's awesome that you are here. Uh, let's open with prayer. Greatest Lord, as we come to your Word, we want your Word to come alive in our hearts this morning. Lord, we pray before, often we pray before we read your word and have it come into our hearts because we realize there's a spiritual battle that takes place. All sorts of distractions can stop us from having something that would transform and change our lives. Stuff comes in to block it. Idiosyncrasies or failings in the communicator, whether it's me or whoever, can block that as well. And stuff in our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that I would decrease and you would increase. We ask in Jesus' name that you would let loose your word in our hearts this morning. I ask in Jesus' name that you would change some people's lives this morning through your spirit and this word. That something would happen in the quiet place of their heart that only your word can do. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning on our ongoing series on Romans, we're looking uh, at that passage there. And what I want to do is just go through God's word, and I pray in a spirit-filled way. Just look at it sentence by sentence. And my hope is, my prayer is, that the power of this passage, the truth of it, would sink into our hearts this morning and that what it would be is it's, it's not really me. And so it's, it's, this is going to be a little bit like a Bible study, but I hope that in it you're just going to find as we just go through this that it will, uh, God's Word, speak through the power of His Spirit, uh, bring it to us. So this is an overview of what we're going to do this morning. Firstly, there is a battle given for us to fight. There is a warning given for us to heed. There is a commandment given for us to obey. There is a power given to equip us. And there is guidance given for us to lead and to show that we are the children of God. First, a battle for us to fight. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Right, So here is a picture to the Christians in the church of Rome. All right, the, the Paul wrote that letter to, uh, to that church, and of course, through the Spirit, it's for all of us, that there is a battle to fight against, that, which is the urges of our sinful nature, right? That actually, we've got this, this, this sinful nature that it's urging us to do stuff, right? Whether it's unforgiveness, bitterness, greed, resentment, you know, it could be lust, whatever. You just fill in the gap, Right? Uh, We all probably have different poisons here this morning that we like, right? Different things that that tempt us. And that's urging us. And at different seasons, there'll be different things. So the language suggests sexual immorality, which, of course, would be a huge thing back in Rome, back in the first century. But it could equally be unforgiveness, greed, anger, gossip, jealousy, envy, or resentment. All right, so there can be some things, sometimes things from our past uh, that live rent-free in a head? Who's had stuff that just comes into their life and you just cannot shake it? It goes around and around and around, and it just destroys all your peace. Maya was sort of giving one this morning, actually, uh, which is a great illustration. Uh, well, I can find this stuff. I sort of just, just sits on me, and it's like a sin that I just don't want to shake, right? And it's this urging that sort of grabs me, and it's, it's compelling, Right, and so this is a trivial example, but it's one that's in my current season. And I, you know, uh, I, I realize I can be over guilty of oversharing, but I have to give personal examples because I can't. I don't want to use examples from you guys; it'd be really mean. So I get examples from my life, and then you guys can connect some dots with yourself. But I'll just crop. We'll go. I, you see me go on my walks. Then you know, I go on my walks sometimes fast, and I'm doing, you know, thinking about my sermon or whatever I'm doing. I, you know, I'm a sort of ADHD brain, so I need to do stuff while I'm thinking, so uh, that's how God's wired me. Anyway, so I was walking across the bridge, working up my sermon, and there was this lovely old lady, she'd probably just finished up at the village inn and doing whatever, and there she was, uh, smoking a cigarette, yes, which is really great, the lady in her 70s smoking, watching the Wahee River, beautiful, wonderful, nothing wrong with that, she's free to smoke, no drama, but in the inside, I saw her doing that, I just suddenly got attacked. I was like ambushed. It's been like something just comes into your mind. And I was overwhelmed with this overwhelming feeling of resentment at her. Like I wanted to stop. As to How dare you make it to the age of your 70s and smoking all your life? Where's the justice of God? My wife's dying. And you've got this smoking. Where? I was like, you know, this was the sort of thought. I didn't tell her that, by the way. I didn't even know it, so I'm really glad about that. Anyway, so, but this was the stuff. And then I started, Did then who's here that thought sitting in your head? And you like an angry thought, and you just can't budget it. And it goes on for pretty much for the next 10 minutes. The entire walk, I wasn't thinking of my sermon. I was thinking of that woman. <laughs> thinking about the injustice of the world <laughs> and my life. And self-pity. I mean, who's, who's done self-pity, woe is me gig? It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, pity party. I'm the central, you know. I don't know if you ever watched... Um, um, you've watched um, Uh, Grinch, uh, the Grinch of Christmas, the movie. And here's here's that time frame of how he plots this thing. Seven o'clock, self-pity. Eight o'clock, pity party. Looks through his whole thing. No, no, I've got no time to see you. You His whole life. That was like, oh my goodness, that could be like me sometimes. Anyway, so that was the thing that was happening. It was this urge living in my head. But I have no obligation to do what my sinful nature, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. In that moment, it was self-pity, bitterness, woe is me. Could have been lust, could have been greed, you just fill in the gap. But that moment, it was that. All right, there's a battle, right? Are You You are all facing a battle. What is your battle at the moment? Are you fighting? Are you winning the battle? Right, I don't live in your head. I don't know what you face, the temptations, the struggles. We all carry our own loads. But the passage says now, and to, and to, and to all those early Roman Christians, and for all those who are Christians, who love the Lord, who have the Holy Spirit in them, you have no obligation to do what the flesh is. Don't allow it to live rent-free in your head. And so, you know, with stuff in my lives, it's like I phone Jesus... No, I've got this issue of unforgiveness and resentment or bitterness or self-pity. I've given it an eviction notice, but it hasn't packed up its bags and left yet. I think I walked in the room. It's sitting, eating chips and watching TV and drinks in my space. It's just living there, right? It's, Jesus, get rid of it. It's, I don't want it. It's just ruining my day, right? Well, Jesus says you have to fight to throw that bitterness, unforgiveness, last greed. You have to grab it and evict it from your mind. It won't go willingly. Right, so Romans 13:14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts, right, or its desires, or whatever. Again, sexual morality, but it could be uh, you could just fill in that gap with other ones, right? So there is a battle given for us to fight. Right? Are you fighting that this morning? A wise person once said, "You don't owe the flesh, like your sinful nature, anything but enmity and war. It's been trying to kill you, actually." Since the day you were born, don't join forces with your enemy and pay for your destruction by giving into the flesh. You no longer have any obligation to do what your sinful nature desires. So there's the first one. Second one, a warning is given for us to heed. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. Right, now here, that passage is not talking about physical death because, of course, all Christians die. And of course, in verse 10, it states that obvious thing, that we are going to die unless the Lord returns in a lifetime. Now, the warning that this is giving me this morning, and perhaps you, is about eternal death, the second and final death. Right? So I'm not going to apologize for this text. I can't apologize for God's word because just because it's uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> But I will just acknowledge, that I know that some of you have grown up in spiritually abusive backgrounds, a variety of, of backgrounds, where you've had hellfire and brimstone talk to you. And often it's do as I say, says the, the, says the church religious leadership, if you don't, you're going to go to hell, and which is entirely spiritually abusive. And occasionally even healthy churches can have a message that comes in, it just lands on the bad day on our heart and creates, you know, we just don't like hearing about eternal death. I acknowledge that, I'm sorry for it, but this is still the word of God. And it's as tough as it is for me to say or to even hear this. We need to remember that this was given to the Christians in the church of Rome. This was given by the Holy Spirit. And as shocking as that might be, because easy to say, well, I'm saved by by grace, right? Once saved, always saved. So why would Paul give this warning to Christians? Shouldn't the Bible just be for non-Christians? This warning, you know, non-Christians, they're going to go to hell, but us Christians, we're all sweet. Well, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. This is confronting stuff but Paul is just echoing the words of Jesus here. All right? so it's not my words, so don't shoot the messenger. All right, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm a Christian, I've got it on my Facebook page, whatever, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does what the will of my Father and who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that's the final day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And some of you are going, well, maybe, you know, we could have filled them. I went to church a few times and I, did a, I helped out on the roster or something like that. Maybe that's the, the gig. Then Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, they actually never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then Jesus then gives this parable. You guys know this one. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock, which is Jesus Christ and his teachings. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Or to put it in other ways, if you live by sin's dictates, you will die. Romans. All right, so all throughout Scripture is these warnings given to Christians to examine themselves. It's given for me. I'm not going to point the finger at you. I'm pointing the finger at me. I have to examine myself. Am I producing the fruits of Repentance. And this warning is given so many times in the Bible that you've got choice. Is the Bible God's word? If you say it's just a human document, then you're free. Go and play golf this morning and enjoy your life, right? But if the Bible is God's word, then we actually really do need to hear these warnings. But on the other hand, there is also some wonderful promises as well. And we need to keep them with the comforting words of Jesus. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me is greater than them all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. There's that words that Jesus is sheep, those that truly are his sheep, that you are in his hands and nothing, neither life nor death, hell or heaven, angels or demons or anything can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. So that's a wonderful promise that if you are Jesus' sheep and and Jesus is the good shepherd, it's a wonderful promise that you are truly his and nothing will snatch you out of, his, out of his hands. But you should ask the question, am I a sheep? Am I hearing his voice? Do I follow his voice in my life? Or am I just religious and playing a game? Am I fake or am I real? That's the thing, right? You just, you know, ask. So therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you choose to live by its dictates, you will die. Don't want to belabor it or create a spirit of a fear. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm going to move on to the next passage. But that is a warning from God, so you have choices to make. Is it God's word? Is it not God's word? Have I fairly stated God's word truthfully and fairly, not creating a spirit of fear or condemnation, just telling you what God's word says? And if you say yes, 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 then where are you at this morning? All right. Next, Firstly, a battle given for us to fight. Secondly, a warning given us to heed. Thirdly, a commandment given for us to obey. For, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So there's a commandment and a promise. The commandment is that we will spend our lives as Christians killing sin. And the promise is if we do this, we will live. So there's a hidden reality here. Right? And, and I know Angela says, "Alice, you're too hard on yourself every Sunday. I'm hard on myself because I don't want really be hard on you. So that's <laughs> <laughs> judgmental. But I can be hard on myself because no one can judge me on that. Instead, um, Angela says I'm too hard on myself. So, so I'm just going to say that what the hidden reality is that in my life, there is sin that needs to be killed that I still need to deal with. Why do I know that? Because I have a sinful nature that is producing sin that needs to be killed. All right, so let me give you an analogy of this commandment. Who is a gardener? Who does gardening? Any form of gardening. right? I don't do gardening. I don't pull up any weeds. I I make it my life's mission not to pull up weeds. I hate gardening, right? Catherine does and does gardening, but I really do not like gardening. right, but just imagine just imagine, I'm, so I'm an anti-gardener, but just imagine I was a gardener, right? Imagine I went to the garden clubs, I joined some gardening social media groups, occasionally put up some gardening quotes on my Facebook page. You know, for you younger ones there, I have a Snapchat streak of gardening photos which I share with my buddies, right? And then I have on the door of my house a gardening statement that says, here lives an awesome gardener. Right, and I would talk about my you know, gardening all the time. In my gardening shed, I have all these awesome tools of gardening sitting there, looking amazing. Just imagine that. But then imagine that my gardens were overrun with weeds. I'd receive notices from Timaru District Council Environment Canterbury that I have noxious weeds all over my property. Any poor plants or trees that I did have were dying, or perhaps hissing at me as I passed. And my gardening tools looked immaculate and shiny and new because they'd never once been used. And if someone asked me about the state of my property in the garden from the gardening club, I'd say they're judgmental gardeners. Plus, I saw a weed in their property. Who are they to judge my garden? And I'd write letters back to the council telling them what gives them the right to define what a weed is anyway. I have my truth. They have theirs. What if I identify my weeds as plants anyway? Right? Well, good. So if I was to do that, it would be fair to ask the question... That if I don't pull up any weeds to look after the plants and the trees are dying, if I never get my hands dirty, not once pulling up those weeds, you could ask the question, am I a gardener? Right? You could ask it. Gardeners may not like weeding. I have no idea because I'm not a gardener, but I I know I definitely don't like weeding. But I do presume they like to see plants and trees flourish and they like to eat juicy fruit from the supermarket. I have to say, the ones that have been giving vegetables to Catherine and I, it is way better than the supermarket. It's like, oh my goodness, there is a difference. You guys notice that? Anyway, sorry, that's totally off the topic. Anyway, so the the key thing is, is that there is such a difference. right? They enjoy to see the nature thrive. So Christians, true authentic ones, Weed. They regularly, intentionally pull up the weeds of sin in their life, right? They know that the world's created, you know, a beautiful creation. They know that they're made in God's image. There's something beautiful and wonderful about all of us. But they also know that every single one of us has a fallen, sinful nature, and that nature produces sin. And as Christians, we have a commandment from the the divine gardener. Pull those weeds up. Fight it. Battle it, do it daily. For if you do so, you will live, but if you don't, you will die. Real simple binary choices Christians kill sin. Right now, Jesus, now I hasten to add, now Jesus says, don't look at your neighbor's uh, uh, garden and check out all the weeds on their garden to judge them, right? Work on your own one. Jesus gave this sort of analogy of the speck in the log, right? Don't don't pull that look at the speck in someone else's eye. Pull out the log in your own eye before you look at the specks. So don't go look at the neighbors. Look at the weeds on their place. I'm so awesome with my gardening. That's a bad religious, righteous, self-righteous, prideful way. Work on your own stuff that's going on. Work on that. And then, with a spirit of gentleness and humility, maybe occasionally come bring your gardening tools to help someone out. But do so without, without judging them, because that always comes down as a real bad vibe when you do that. Right? So this is a key thing, right? are you weeding your garden? Are you dealing with sin in your life? But if through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. All right. So there's a battle given for us to fight. Are you fighting? There's a a warning given us to heed. You've heard the warning, right? The consequences are on you and me. There is a commandment given for us to obey, and now there's a power given for us to equip us. And this, this is uh, the, the next verse, but through the power of the Spirit you will put to death the disease of your sinful nature, you will live. Now the power to do this is not in ourselves, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. I was reading these communists who were talking about, they had these self-criticism classes they had to attend, right, this is in the communist country all the time working on it. Christians, we don't have to sort of sit there looking and judging ourselves, And this is not some self-improvement exercise or an ideology. This is done. We kill sin through the power of the Spirit. God does this. God equips us. He changes our motivation. He changes our heart. We hate what he hates and we love what he loves because only God could do that miracle in our lives. Before, we're happy doing whatever we're doing. So before I came to Jesus Christ and knew him, this sermon would really suck. It would be like the worst sermon ever. Right? It's just like, oh, judgmental Christians, sin, hell yeah, yeah. I want to when's lunch? Why would you have me here? But after I came to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit opened my heart to what was going on and my hard-heartedness to him. How, how apathetic I was to the things of God. I wanted God, but on my terms. I wanted the Christian faith, but only a little bit of it. But when the Holy Spirit opened my heart, there was a change. And it was that power that started a change in my life. And it's through the power of the Spirit that kills that sin that you will live. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you this morning? And now lastly, guidance given to lead us and to show that we are the children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The the Spirit of God leads us. And this leading confirms us to be children of God. So the leading in this context is that God leads us to grow like him, right? To grow in holiness. Who's rung on the phone? The old landlines. I now don't have a landline. I have a cell phone. But remember the old landlines and you rang the person on the landline and you think you're talking to the, to the parent, but you're actually talking to the child. Everyone's had that moment? Yeah, so why is the likeness, the child and the father or the daughter and the mother, there's a likeness, and what that is a saying is that those who are love Jesus, we are children of God because we reflect Him. We reflect Jesus Christ, and that is done through the Spirit in our lives, and this Holy Spirit that makes us reflect Him, we are led through this life, right? We reflect Him, and we're led through Him, right? So do I, it's a question I have to ask, do I reflect God? Do I reflect the likenesses of character? No, not consistently, I have to say, <laughs> I've been honest. But I want to. I'm desiring to. And there's a second thing here: those who are led by the Spirit of God, there is a leading through life. In religion, those who come to church but this is they don't they don't know Christ. There's never a relationship. There's not a sense that God is leading. them. They don't pray about the big decisions of life. I say, Lord, what are you leading me to this week? There's none of that. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you are saved, that's a difference. You, God leads you in life, and you are led into every part of life. And you get to see this in Psalm 23. as uh, well known. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Do you see this guidance? Right? This is no longer the parent-child. This is the shepherd-sheep analogies. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He grows the Christian character in, right? this For his name's sake. Ea, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right, so this here is a picture, and this is the great, awesome hope of Christianity and the Christian faith, understood, is that the Lord goes through our lives. Everything, he leads us to these green pastures, still waters, and even the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord leads us into those appointed valleys, and he guides us. And I'm going through a valley. I'm not going to hide this from you. You know my, what's going on in my home life. I'm in a dark valley right now. But I can tell you this, the Lord is in that valley with me and he appointed this valley and he is leading me through this valley and his presence comforts me, his rod and his staff. This is the hope of the Christian faith. I know it sounds crazy. How do non-Christians cope with this? I sort of think, I don't know. Like, What do they do? I tell you, when I'm in a dark valley, I'm like, Jesus, I need you. I need the Lord leading me. And he leads his children. He leads his sheep. And we are led through this life. And then we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will not die, but have eternal life. The Old Testament promises, Psalm 23. It's all through the Old Testament. Jesus' words, Paul, same message. Do you know the message? Has the message changed your heart this morning? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Because all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Has the has the penny dropped? I pray it has. And so this morning, well, here we go. We had a look. There is a battle given for us to fight. If you know Jesus, you need to be fighting sin. There's a warning given for us to heed. There is eternal consequences here. This is not just Paul. It's Jesus's words. It's the Bible's word. It's God's word. There is a commandment given for us to obey. We need to be pulling up weeds in our life. To use that analogy. There is a power given to us equipped. Don't worry, we're not on our own. It's God to say, Lord Jesus, I need more of you in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, change my heart. Give me new desires. Power me and equip me. Show me. If you really are real, show yourself to me. And lastly, there is guidance given to us to lead us through this life. And that leading shows that we are children of God. We are the sheep of his pasture, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray that, Lord, that there would be appropriate conviction where you give it, but no condemnation this morning. I pray that we would all focus in our own gardens, not worry about where other people are at. (laughs) And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that every person here would know the children of God, led by your spirit. You, You would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen.